Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. It, it was really kind of a curious problem. Um, I'm talking about working in television in Salt Lake City in the, in the 80s we would get these lightning hits at the transmitter site and it would just wreak havoc with all the equipment. I mean, lightning can be a very powerful thing. And we didn't understand the severity of what was happening during these lightning storms until the Kentucky Derby came along. The Kentucky Derby is a horse race, an annual horse race here in the United States. And the television station management wanted the site manned because there was a storm coming. So we would have somebody up there to get us back on the air if we had problems because it was a high-profile program. And what we learned was when lightning hit the site, it didn't dissipate immediately. Indeed, lightning hit the site during the Kentucky Derby, and we called up to see how recovery was coming, and the transmitter engineer said, I'm not going to get off this bed until the lightning leaves the room. He had ball lightning inside the building. And the reason I'm telling you this story is the energy didn't have anywhere to go because the transmitter site was located on a solid rock mountaintop where the whole flipping mountain top was a single rock. And so what we did after some head scratching is we went up and and put a big grid of copper over the entire top of the mountain like a uh, chain link fence, we, we put uh, a copper grid down and drilled it into the rock and that gave it uh, a, a better resonance, a better connection. And then when lightning would hit the site, the mountaintop could absorb the energy much quicker and it wasn't such a um, chaotic event with the equipment. The reason I bring this up is tonight's episode. I'm very excited about the episode tonight. The topic tonight is resonate. Zen and the way of making a difference. And our guest tonight is Dr. Jenny Whitelaw. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. But I'd like to touch on the idea of energy needs a place to go. Energy needs something compatible with it in order for change to happen. In order for change to happen, energy moves. In order for energy to move, there has to be a conduit, a corridor, a a resonance that allows that to happen. And when we look at our human persona, either individually or collectively, and we desire change, something's got to move. There's got to be some movement. There's got to be a change in our energy. I think we're going to have a delightful conversation tonight. Again, the topic is resonate. Zen and the way of making a difference. Now, this is the the title of Dr. Jenny's book, and I really like the book. Um, she really brings, a, I would say, an organic um, way of understanding the, the, the mechanics of energy within our own persona. Those are my words. We're going to hear from from her how she would put it. In her book, biophysicist, embodied leadership expert, speaker, and author, Dr. Jenny Whitelaw combines wisdom from East and West, I always like that combination, and shows you how to master resonance 
so you can live your most significant, joyful, and resilient life. Who doesn't want to be more resilient with all the change we had last year? Dr. Whitelaw lays out for readers that to resonate is to vibrate with and provide an understanding of how it works and how all change comes about and how you can play into it. Join me in welcoming Dr. Ginny Whitelaw to the show. Welcome to the show, Ginny. Thanks so much. Good to be here, Beth. Now, can the the whole notion of East and West, um, I really like that combination because our Western mind can gladly land on the moon, but our Western mind can can really wrestle with um, a sense of grace and ease. Um, 2020 was a classic example of anything but grace and ease in our Western culture. Can you give us a background of of how you bring the East and the West, both elements, into your material? Well, sure. Um, When I was a a little girl, I used to look up at the stars, and I wanted to go there. I wanted to be an astronaut, and that dream just burned in me to the point where I was writing NASA when I was 13 years old, asking them what classes I should take in junior high school to best prepare me for my life as an astronaut. And they wrote back. They, they told me, actually, in junior high school, it doesn't matter. So I knew it wasn't even a form letter. It was a real letter. But by high school, I should be studying math and science. And then in college, I should major in physics or aeronautical engineering or astrophysics. They gave me a whole list of choices for what I should major in. And I loved that letter. I just treasured it. I pinned it to my wall. I followed it to a T, and I took every science and math class under the sun. And I did get a degree in physics and then was got very interested in the energy of the human body, which took me into biophysics. All through college, I had worked in a high-energy physics lab, so I really got this appreciation of how energy and matter uh, dance together. Indeed, that, that matter is, in a sense, a very rapidly vibrating form of energy, that it's all energy. And under certain resonant frequencies, under certain conditions, energy will form into matter. So I had this sense about energy as a very cool thing. And then by the time I was in college and graduate school, I had also started studying martial arts. And in graduate school, found just a world-class teacher of Aikido. And Aikido is a Japanese art, a Japanese word, but it literally translates as, wait for it, (laughs) the way to harmonize energy. So this was like the perfect art for an energy geek. And I really learned about how to work with human energy, how to sense where someone's coming from, how to sense their movement when it was still a thought forming in their head rather than a physical movement. And my Aikido teacher was also training in Zen. He, and he would say to me, if you want to reach the peak of your game, you have to start meditating. And I was an ambitious kid, as you can imagine. Um, so absolutely, I wanted to reach the peak of my game. And so I started meditating. So what became, in a sense, an avocation of my interest in Aikido and Zen uh, continued through life. And along the way, I'm learning a deeper sense of how, from an Eastern point of view, energy is a property of the universe. I mean, it's, it's so interesting how East and West come at this question of energy from completely opposite directions. Because, you know, in Western science, we want to break everything down to study it. We try to break it down into its parts. But from an Eastern view, it looks at everything like what makes it whole. How are we, you and I, a part of it? And so it really looks at how can we cultivate our own energy to connect with universal energy. And when you put those two views together, you get a deep sense not only of how resonance works objectively, 
but how it works through you and me subjectively, how we can cultivate it and work with it. Wow, I I really like that. You know, the when we talk about energy, it's 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 not something we leave on the kitchen table. It's it's not like we have a a cup of energy per se on the table. And I know matter has energy and whatnot, but I mean to talk about energy and then talk about personal transformation. I know 2020 has kind of turned everybody on their head. How can how can our understanding of energy um, have a gift for us? I mean, perhaps how can we shift our thinking about energy that that might help us be more resilient when when inevitable change comes our way? Right. Well, when you think about the human being, when you think about yourself right now. We are a mix of energy and matter. We are a combination. And, you know, for many years, for now, gee, more than 25 years, I've been working with leaders and teaching leadership development and coaching leaders. And one of the things I say about leaders is that they're in the business of turning energy into things that matter. Because when you think about it, thought or imagination, those are forms of energy. And when we have an idea, we, we are literally turning that energy through ourselves into the work of our hands, our communication, the things we make time for, the relationships we cultivate. And eventually we can realize a, a, a new product or a service or a company. We can turn even a brick-and-mortar company. We can uh, create a new business. So we're turning ideas into material things. Even if you think about how our senses work, you know, we have senses for light, we have senses for sound. Those are literally resonating with different wavelengths of energy, different vibrations of energy we are able to vibrate with. So we take in this energy, and now it starts kicking off a chain reaction in us. As you were saying in the opening, when energy has a place to go, it moves. And so when it can resonate, we have like cells in our eyes that resonate very nicely with vibrations of light. And they can kick off a chain reaction that allows us to see. Likewise with, with the, our hearing and or even the, the hairs in our skin, they're all <laughs> waving in the wind, setting off a chain reaction that allows us to, to, to feel. So we are just full of sensors for energy. <laughs> and then we take that energy in and it gets different forms in our material body. And that interplay between energy and matter is always going on for us. So how can we use it to build a more resilient self or a more agile self for times that are moving so quickly, what, what I have found so helpful, so useful, is to feel, to be able to work with how energy is flowing through the body. And again, that's very much cultivated in traditions like Qigong and Tai Chi, you know, or Aikido, thing, these Eastern traditions that work with the body's energy and its cultivation or the chakra system out of yoga works with the energies of the body and, and how to move it. But even if we listen to, you know, a Western uh, psychiatrist, Dan Siegel, uh, his, his characterization of when we're effective and well-being is characterized by the flow of energy, flow and harmony with the energy that we're working with, whereas illness and ineffectiveness by rigidity and chaos. So when the body is tense or tight or we're kind of a jangle, we're all over the place, then we have a very incoherent and blocked signal. The energy isn't able to move clearly. And we experience that subjectively as various states of stress or illness. When we're able to get everything flowing, we feel better and we're more effective. That's kind of that principle is one that I, you know, write about and teach about a great deal in working with resonance 
if we can cultivate practices that help integrate our physical body and tune us, get rid of the tension, tune us, and tame some of the things that otherwise get in our way, our fears, our impulses, our ego, if we can tame these, then the energy can flow very cleanly. We can harmonize with life itself. Wow, I like that. Very, very well spoken. I like that a lot. So um, it seems like you're saying energy is uh, is an element of information for us, if you will, in the sense that if I start to pay attention to my life from an energetic perspective, I can I can have a better measuring stick, so to speak, to see if I'm in harmony or resonance with um, my intention and perhaps discern when I'm, I'm, I'm falling off the path, so to speak, and getting lost out in the weeds. It seems like energy is, it almost seems like a unbiased feedback mechanism, if you will, if that makes sense. That's right. Yeah, energy. It's right. It doesn't. It's not gonna. It's not gonna judge us, right? It's just. It's gonna be what it is. But I like your image of being a measuring device of sorts because when we, when it's stuck, we feel it. You know, I. Um, and it doesn't have to be abstract or, or theoretical. You know, if 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 we're in a conversation or a situation where we suddenly you know, thrown into anger or we're feeling um, I'm not, I, you know, uh, embarrassed or frightened or some kind of strong negative emotion. There's something going on in the body. And if we can locate that something, we'll usually feel something's tight or stuck. Even listening to my voice now, if you start clenching your fist, or tensing your arms or tensing the forearms, you can feel even how it happens in my voice that we that the resonance of the body starts changing, and and we're bottling up energy. We're it's we're stopping things from flowing, and that damages or it dents our sensitivity as well as our effectiveness. It it makes us both less able to vibrate with others. In other words, we can't we don't pay attention to other people and we don't pay attention to what's going on. And it makes us less effective in bringing out our clear voice, our true note. Well, I like that. You know, uh, um, so many people have had their lives turned on their heads. And um, a lot of times the Western mind will, will go introvert and start running all these mental dialogues about everything that's not working. I mean... Uh, lots of job, lots of um, socialization. I mean, 2020 kind of turned it all on its head. And we can get stuck. I mean, we can spend quite a bit of time in in thoughts and feelings and repetitive patterns that really don't serve us. So it it seems like if we develop a habit, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear some of your techniques, but if we pay attention to the energy, we can disconnect from what doesn't serve us a lot sooner in the game, so to speak, and kind of regulate our potential from getting lost in pattern or habit, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does make sense, because pattern and habit come from the past. I mean, uh, it's, you know, habit has been formed by the way energy plays through our nervous system, and it lays down a path as it goes. So it changes our neurons, it changes the neural connectivity, and so the next time energy arrives, it tends to follow similar paths. You know, habit starts making our life familiar. I mean, that's that's why we call it a habit. But what that means is that certain stimuli, certain energy we don't pay attention to habitually and other things get us stuck. And through it all, we're, we're trying to get our needs met. You know, as you said, 2020 turned us on our ear. Why? Well, we had a global, we had, we had many, you know, intersecting issues, but a global pandemic. 
spreading everywhere. It, I mean, it, we were reminded that viruses were the first things to go viral. I mean, they could resonate with all of us. We all could be susceptible to them. And they brought out, they highlighted issues of life and death, which throws a lot of fear into people. We have, uh, you know, we all have egos that are designed to keep us alive, that, are, that trigger, get triggered when they feel conditions are not conducive to our survival. You know, we call survival instinct, right? So right. Th- these egos um, struggle mightily in, in, f- in fearful situations like we've been living through, trying to control, trying to make things safe, trying to look out for, look out for myself. And all of that creates tension in the body that constricts energy that keeps us from, from being able to, to, to just uh, accept conditions. Because as you say, we start looking at what's not working, what's wrong, what, you know, what don't I like, what am I afraid of. All of these things put us in what I call coping mode, where we're resisting life because it's not according to our agenda. It's, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like you know, we're, we're, we're okay in this. So we're resisting it. And that state of resistance eats up a lot of our energy. And it's not, it, it's not a, a state from which we can be very effective because we're not really going anywhere. We're just like static electricity in a sense. We're not, there's, no, there's no movement. There, there's movement, but there's, it's like chaotic movement or, or movement that doesn't amount to anything. It's, it's just uh, we're stuck. There was a great Zen master, Joshu, who once was asked about, gave some description of Zen as being as a ball on fast-moving waters. And if you just picture that for a moment, how a ball would function on fast-moving waters, it just moves naturally. It's not resisting the water. It's just turning with it and moving with it. And if it goes faster, the ball might rotate a little faster that goes left, it goes left, you know, it just, it accords the condition. But then you take a human being like you or me and you throw us into water and you get all these reactions, you know, like, ah, I don't need a waterfall up ahead and grasping at reeds and worrying about rocks and flailing about. Why do we do this? Well, because we're, we're afraid. We're trying to control. And that's how we met 2020, a lot of us. You know, I'm not, I don't want to generalize to everyone, but that, that condition of, of being thrown into difficult circumstances is a lot of what we've been through. So how do we function with those times? There's a crucial pivot point between when we're able to truly, when we're resisting life versus resonating with it or harmonizing with it. And that pivot point is a place of acceptance. It's acceptance. It's like the zero, you know, between negative and positive. And that acceptance does not mean I like what's going on. It means I take it as it is. And I quit fighting with life and rather figure out how to co-create with it. That, that crucial juncture is a gesture in the mind and body of the, of the human being. And until we accept what's going on, we're in some kind of a coping mode. We're resisting. And, and there's a lot of tension and stuckness in that. I, I take it as it is. I like that statement. It, 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 when, when I just um, pondered the notion of resonance uh, and if I'm going through a lot of change in my life that I didn't particularly ask for, there's there's always opportunity in front of us. I mean, in any one moment, we can have one of a million different ideas or inspirations that might be the vehicle of change that we're looking for. But if we don't resonate with that inspiration, it can't it can't connect with us. And when you talk about, I take it as it is, that zero point, I I love that uh, reference you made of the ball in the water where there's no resistance and it stays in an equilibrium of sorts. And that, I think that, 
that affords us the ability to be open to inspiration and be in resonance, resonance with a new vector, a new paradigm, a new trajectory, if you will. So how do we how do we uh, hone our skills with energy? I mean, um, you you've talked about meditation and yoga. I mean, what are some of the practices that make us more energetically savvy and aware? Energetically savvy. I love that phrase. Um, whether the practices that I lay out and resonate and that I've been teaching around this have to do with first integrating the body. You might think we're always integrated, but, but not so much. We, we have a way of cutting, of cutting ourselves off of unpleasant circumstances. I mean, we, uh, in, in really in, in hugely traumatic events, there can be complete psychological dissociation, you know, where people can't even remember the event. Um, but even in lesser trauma, we can distance ourselves from unpleasantness. I mean, just think about what you do when something stinks, you know, how you hold it away from you, you know, right? Like, but psychologically, we do similar things with painful experiences. We hold them away from us. And it, it has the effect of dissociations in the, in the mind-body system. And that can lead to, to, so part of the practices is integrating. And how do you start to integrate? So much of that, the tension and constriction is deeper than conscious. It comes from old and deep habit, inherited trauma, life experience trauma, intergenerational trauma. So you can't get at it by just saying, you know, put on a happy face or, you know, everything will be all right. That kind of, those kind of like conscious, I'll say, affirmations are not deep enough to get at the unconscious habit. So you need, you need stronger medicine. And this, the stronger medicine we have available to us is to work with the breath and the body. The breath is very special here because it, it can be an ambassador that crosses the line from conscious to unconscious mind. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, you can consciously control your breath. You could, for example, make your next exhale very long and slow. And I invite you to do it. Just slow your exhale down and let it drop through your body like a plumb line coming down in gravity right into the earth. So you can consciously control your breath. But before I asked you to think about your breathing, you were clearly already breathing. So it tells us that breath can be both conscious and unconscious or subconscious. You know, it's going to be able to work deeper than just the conscious mind. Moreover, when we drop the breath into a deep and slow pattern, we can create a frequency range where the entire body can come into coherence, where it's sort of like nested bowls, where you can get a big bowl that holds a smaller bowl that holds a smaller bowl, and you can get ways to add up from the wave of from our, our literal inspiration, our respiration, our heartbeat, and our brain waves. The, the folks at the HeartMath Institute have done some wonderful research around coherence between heart and head and find that at a frequency of a tenth of a hertz, so every 10 seconds, when things slow down in our system, you can get the waves to sort of add up so that they create a stronger coherence, a, a coherent signal. Just like when waves of water on a body of water add up, they get bigger. And likewise in us our signal, our resonance gets stronger and clearer when our waves add up. So when we drop our breath into a deep, slow frequency, we can get that addition not only between head and heart, but all the way down into the power center that the Japanese call hara, H-A-R-A, hara. This is in the lower abdomen. It's also a center of consciousness between 500 million and a billion nerve cells down here in the enteric nervous system centers of energy, um, chakric centers in a yogic sense. In the martial arts, it's the center of power. And in the human being, it's the center of gravity. It's the center of movement and gravity. It's the pivot point for the whole lower body. And it's the place where when you want to put the body together, like all in, you're going to lift something or push something, you want to do it from this lower body center, the hara. So 
getting these centers integrated becomes a way to cure those dissociations. And you can use deep, slow breathing to start to integrate the head, the heart, and the hara. And so that's one of the places I start in my teaching with people. Slow down your exhale. Let it drop physically in the body, down into the lower abdomen. And when I say the exhale drops in the body, I don't mean that your lungs fall in here, you know, into your gut. The lungs are still in the chest, and they're filling up with air as always. But the muscles that are regulating the process just drop so deeply in the body, it feels like the breath is dropping down there. And there's actually an expansion in the hara when we can use those deep, low abdominal muscles to regulate the diaphragm from underneath. And it feels like the breath is going right down there, and it can go right back into the earth, and it's a very grounded, centered feeling. So we, we do that all the time in meditation. Every breath can have that quality. And when every breath starts having that quality, you build a deep physical habit in the body that allows the energy to flow all the way through. That would be an example of a practice that, you know, you, you can get the feel for right away, but the more you practice, the more that becomes um, a... Uh, a, a stronger uh, energy channel, like it widens until more current can flow. I like that. It, well, it seems like a like a reference point. I mean, if you have a practice yes. of, of lowering, taking a slower exhale and lowering it into your abdomen, lowering it into your um, physical body, and you do that in a repetitive way, it 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 kind of struck me as that zero point you're talking about. That that uh, um, if you live there in your practice, then when you're pulled out of it from the chaos, when you're pulled out of it from the change, when you're pulled out of it from the stress and anxiety, then your awareness that you're you're moving out of grace, you're moving out of resonance with whatever's happening in the moment, you can you can um react in a new way very early on in the process. I really like that. It, so it, how it, do, what uh, you say is so true. That's so true, Beth. I mean I, I wanna underscore that because the the tendency when we face something new or or, or frightening or upsetting or whatever is to jump up into our heads to try to figure it out. And as you say, when you have a practice where you're grounded, where you're feeling your breath down in the hara, you instantly know when you've lost that, when you've jumped up into the head. And it gives you an early warning signal that you better reestablish your ground. You better center yourself. Well, and it's got to help your body. I mean, because stress, stress in and of itself is, it kind of, uh, it stress is so weird because instantaneously all of our cells are influenced by stress. And, and I think part of the problem where people struggle with all the changes of 2020 is is the uh the stress, the anxiety, the unknown that is, so to speak, inflicted on our bodies. And what I really like about the breathing exercise is in, invariably you slow down. And by slowing down the release of your your breath, you're, in, you're invariably having a calming or relaxing of, effect that would counteract that stress. That's right. That's right. Because the exhale part of the breathing cycle is the relaxing part. It's the part that hits the autonomic nervous system in such a way that we we become more relaxed. So we're quite intentional in Zen practice to make the exhale many times longer than the inhale. So it's a really long, slow exhale. And then just let the in-breath come in and a really long, slow exhale. And in that process, we're letting everything down regulate. So we're letting everything drop down. And what happens, you know, what happens in the senses, in our hearing, when the body quiets down is we become more attuned. 
You can hear the sound of a pin drop after, after a, a period of meditation. It's as if every vibration is picked up more sensitively. And when we're in that kind of state, it, that what it's saying is we can be more attuned to our environment. We'll be able to better sense what's going on, not just the obvious things, but even the subtle energies, the you know the the sense of the how to move with the energy of the day, or some a sense of the zeitgeist, or when the energy of a meeting has changed and it needs to be redirected a little bit, you can start to read things at a more subtle level when you're quiet. When you're noisy, you only catch the really obvious things. You know, when your own mind is chattering away and you're full of stress and anxiety. Only the really obvious things will, will, will hit. But when you're quiet, it's just like a calm pond. Anything can register in you. And, and you can pick up the signals much more uh, subtly. And, and by increasing this, uh, the range of signals, you're increasing your opportunities. I mean, we've been talking about negotiating change as a as a strategy so to speak of of how our persona how our our experience of change can be litigated or managed by paying attention to our energy let's flip it over to the notion of creation i know a lot of your background is working in the role of leadership. Now, if I look at my own life, I can be a leader in my own life, and I, I can be a leader in a group or organization. If we if we turn turn what we're talking about around into the creative, into the um, leadership, the the visionary, so to speak, um, role. How does how does this practice give us new skills I mean because a lot of times in turmoil we'll, we'll drop into a like an endurance mode where we're we're just trying to get through it and if 2021 is a lot like 2020 we can check off a couple of years without actually being as proactive as we might have been in the past how how do these principles relate to us uh, creating change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, because being a co-creator with life is part of the, the human gift, right? That's part of what we're capable of. How do we do that? You know, they, the definition that I use for leadership, which I have borrowed um, generously from Kevin Cashman, is is a simple one that doesn't apply to an organizational position or, you know, being running a company. It is authentic self-expression that creates value. That was his definition, authentic self-expression that creates value. So as you say, you can be doing that in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in your life, wherever you are co-creating with life to create value for people, for the world. Bringing beauty through 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 yourself, bringing value through yourself. Then we say that's an active leadership. So, how do we enter that mode again? To, to contrast it with the endurance mode that you mentioned, endurance is another element or another way to describe that coping mode that we were talking about earlier, which is is. Still, you know, it's like putting up with life, but it's not accepting. There, there's something in our that that turning toward and saying, you know, bring it on, bring it on. I'll work with it. Whatever it is, I'm going to work with it. And that there's, you know, there's a certain kind of positivity in that, a positive orientation. And I don't mean positive, like again, just put on a happy face, but this willingness to say that it may not be according to my agenda, but I'm still going to give it my best. And that pivot point of acceptance that we were talking about earlier is is still absolutely essential. I have to be willing to set aside my agenda. I have to be willing to take it as it is 
And then I can start to see, oh, here's an opportunity. I can work with it this way. I can work with it. There's a lot of need that's surfacing here that I can meet. So now I'm starting to listen to the situation a different way. So two, two people can look at the same situation, and one just sees problem where the other sees opportunity. What's the difference? The difference is what energies we're willing to pick up with, what, what we can sense. And if I'm resisting life, you know, I'm kind of in that everything's a problem, you know, it, it, that mode or, or mindset, then I'm stuck in my own habit. I'm in my own thought process around this doesn't serve me. I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like the other thing. You know, I'm in my complaining mode versus when I'm looking at opportunity, I'm, my energy is focused from inside out. I'm, I'm letting something come through me like, hmm, I wonder if we could play with this or create that or work with this person, or help that community. You know, it's, it's focused toward creating value for other people. Radically different direction of energy. And just like you said earlier about the mountain example, when energy has a direction to flow, it can flow through us. Now, how does it flow through us? By vibrating with exactly the differentiated instrument that you are, that we are. And out comes exactly our value to add. It's so simple, but it's not easy. It's just so simple that if we sense what is <laughs> all the energy available to us, which I call universal energy, we sense the universal energy available to us, what vibrates with us is us to co-create with. And we, if we can accept conditions as they are, meaning, again, I just take it as they are and give it my best, then we can sense what's available add our value in exactly our way to do it. What is ours vibrates with us and out comes our action. It's as natural as a child swinging on a swing set. We're simply working with larger forces to create momentum. Very well spoken. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, change. You're talking about a new dynamic, a new narrative for either individuals or, or groups with leadership. The, I mean, over the years we've talked to, to so many people on this show, the, the notion of a human being changing their dynamic, changing their life, changing the trajectory, if you will, of their life, that's, that's paramount to ending suffering, ending um, difficulty. I mean, many, many people want, the, they, they're they really hungry for a, a new narrative for their life, and, and perhaps collectively, too. So what I really like about what you're talking about is, is using the using our understanding of ourselves as an energetic persona, so to speak, to hone our ability to figure out what works and what doesn't work, to use it as a measuring stick of whether or not our choices and actions are literally going to bring us into a new outcome. Is, is that what you're, you're getting at? Yeah, I think, you know, as you say, change is always going on, and yet sometimes we get stuck in old stories and we hunger for a new narrative, was your phrase, a new narrative. You think about what is an old story. These are habits. These are things embedded and embodied that have characterized our life lived up till now. They didn't come from nowhere. They came from somewhere. You know, they came from some experience or something inherited or something, some lived experience. Uh, and so there's, it's not about judging them or saying, you know, this is, this is a good story or a bad story. But in as much as we're locked in them, we get stuck. We get stuck because we are attending to the past rather than the present moment energy. And so it's hard to co-create with the past, you know. If you're not taking in new energy, you're not you're not in the dance. You know, you're not dancing with the currently playing music. So, um, it, it, part of it is, you know, we say in Zen, don't let the mind stop. And what we mean by that is, if we're stuck in an old story, um, 
then find ways to to free it up. Find ways to free it up. And this is goes back to the question you asked earlier about practices. Um, in my own experience, you know, Zen is some pretty strong medicine. The practices of Zen, meditation and, and Zen training, physical practices. I'm not talking about a philosophy or religion or belief system or anything here. I'm talking about physical practices of Zen um, are, are very good at unwinding the ego's narrative. Why? Because in the stillness of meditation, we can catch our mind at how it works. We start to see ourselves much more clearly, which is like really important. But more than that, we start to see through ourselves. We start to see through the ego. And the ego is a very necessary, I'll call it energetic form within us. There's no question about the need for an ego. We'd be crazy without one. And it has an important job. It is trying to keep us alive, and it's it's handy. We can thank it for that. And it's not our whole identity. The problem with the ego is it makes us think that's who we are. And once we start to see through the ego, we can see into a different quality of who we are, a bigger sense of who we are. So even to go back to our, our definition of leadership, you know, this authentic self-expression that creates value, then is going to blast open our experience of the authentic self. We're going to sense a self that is not corpuscular and separate but rather connected and flowing with what is. As my Zen teacher's teacher said, the true human body is the entire universe. And he wasn't kidding. And he wasn't speaking metaphorically. That sense of our wholeness is available to us as a direct experience in meditation. And what do you think it does to our narrative? What do you think that does to our ego? There's a deep relaxation that comes into the body when we can transcend the, the mortality that the ego is so afraid of. You know, when we can really reconcile the questions of life and death, we settle down. We settle down. As I say to people, if you think you're a leaf, you know, fall is a pretty depressing time of year. But if you know you're the whole tree or the whole forest or the whole world, it's just another season. So who we think we are, that narrative we hold for ourselves has everything to do with, with how we take life and how much of it we'll take. And when we know we're the whole picture, and in fact, we in some sense chose this life for some reason that is revealed to us as we live it, um, we chose to be here in this wild and crazy time, a pivotal time in human history. We chose this time. When we look at it that way, it becomes a great creative ride. What I really liked about what you just said is deep relaxation. And from the context of seeing ourselves in a bigger picture, in a bigger context, how many people would want... um, who would appreciate the ability to relax? We're in a karmic tsunami here. I mean, it, it's the uh, rototiller of our collective subconscious. And to be able to relax in the storm, to relax in the chaos of change, because change outside of us is, is um something that happens on a bigger scale than ourselves. I mean, the world stage really hit a lot of change in 2020, but I really liked what you said about the more we understand and connect with this this bigger sense of self, that that is the gift, that can bring us the gift of being able to relax. In, in the chaos of change. So um, we've got about five minutes left. Share with us how you have changed. I mean, if you take a big step back and look at yourself perhaps 20 years ago and and how you are with your demeanor with yourself, how you are as how you approach life, 
What are some of the transformations you've experienced with this material? Mm. Wow. What a what a good question. You know, years ago, you could probably tell from my childhood story of wanting to be an actor. I was I'm a very ambitious person, but it masked a deep insecurity. I was always trying to prove myself. I, if you really peeled back the layers, I didn't feel I was worthwhile unless I was doing something laudable, you know, something someone would praise. Um, I wanted to be noticed in a favorable light. Um, I wanted to succeed wildly. I, want, I mean, I think I wanted the astronaut job because I felt like, whoa, then I'll be good enough, you know, <laughs> then I'll be worthwhile. Right. Then people won't right. think I'm just a so-so person, you know, or a waste of skin, you know. <laughs> so these kind of unfillable needs that we have, I used to live out of my own set of those. Um, and and I, it became what I call a prison of self after a while. I could, and, and my Zen training was showing me the stupidity of it, but I couldn't break free for a long time. Um, but eventually, you know, when you don't give up, I, I tell people, if you're on the right track and you don't give up, success is assured. <laughs> So at some point, you know, it had to collapse. I broke through, and uh, and and that deep relaxation I speak of is is, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm always relaxed. I I still have you know worry habits that can grab me now and then. But um, I used to be uh, uh, I used to need to use life to try to prove myself. Now I use myself to serve life. Beautiful. I like that. You know, nature um, nature demonstrates grace so wonderfully. If if we go far and far enough out into nature off the beaten path, where it hasn't had the influence of the human intention, everything is at ease with itself. Um, right. Right. And, and the comment you made, I take it as it is. Nature kind of demonstrates that for us. Even in the the thunderstorm and the wind and the, and the rain, there can be torment, but it seems like nature doesn't resist itself, if that makes sense. And it, um I like how you folded in the higher sense of self, being able to understand perhaps the soul perspective, the bigger sense of self, that we can oh. truly find a place of grace. As um, And through, the, I really like the practices of when, when you feel the, um, when you feel yourself coming out of center, coming at, um, being, um, pushed off into the weeds to recognize that and then use um, one of the practices you shared was slowing down the exhale and, and coming into your body. That um, These are really um, re- really powerful concepts. Yeah, they can be powerful practices and really life-giving. And as you say, being out in nature can be deeply healing as well because it reminds us of who we are, that we are a part of this, not apart from it. We are a part of this, this, um, this earth. It's up flowing through us. And as you say, this is such a, such a uh, turbulent time. You use the phrase karmic tsunami. It's such a turbulent time, but there's a potency in that because some things are going to break. Some new forms are going to happen. And those the people who can co-create with the turbulence of this time for the betterment of the world can be part of building a better tomorrow, a better building up the the forms of our communities, our societies, our civilizations that are closer to how we want to live. You look around and there's so much happening that is not the world that any of us would ask for. So how can we build it towards something that it, that honors human dignity, you know, that honors and respects all people? That's the opportunity open in a time this turbulent, but to 
seize the opportunity, we have to notice it. We have to sense it, which means we have to be centered. Very nice. Well, we're about out of time. I want to make absolutely sure the audience knows everything about you as as far as your, <laughs> your services. Now, I know you're the founder and CEO of the Institute for Zen Leadership. Um, you have your book out. Um, take take the time to tell our audience how to get your book, how to engage um, your services. Yeah, well, that's a that's a generous offer. Les, thank you. Um, well, the book is available online anywhere. It's called Resonate. Resonate. Um, and the uh, if you go to resonatethebook.com, you can also find some companion videos to all of the exercises, including the the, the breathing exercises we touched on this evening. So the, the resonatethebook.com. We'll give some some other uh, resources that go with the book. Um, there's also a course coming up starting next month, an online course people can take and resonate. And you can learn about that course at resonatethebook.com. So you can, that's a, another opportunity for if you feel drawn to dive deeper into this. Um, the, uh, the Resonate course starts February 22nd. So I would encourage people to look into that. And then um, you mentioned the Institute for Zen Leadership uh, at zenleader.global. That is our website, and you can learn about programs that we offer in Zen Leadership in how to bring this authentic self-expression that creates value uh, through your whole self. And if that calls you zenleader.global. So, Resonate is the book. Resonatethebook.com is a website that gives resources, including around the course, Resonate, and then zenleader.global for other courses in Zen leadership. Well, very nice. Uh, An hour can go by pretty fast. I want to thank you, Jenny, for such a wonderful episode. I very much have enjoyed this conversation. As I have. Thank you, Les. It's great to talk with you. We've been talking with Dr. Jenny Whitelaw, and the topic tonight has been resonate, Zen, and the way of making a difference. Uh, You know, uh, we've been doing this show for over 10 years now, and, and we focus on the power of the human persona, the power of human transformation, and What I really like about tonight's episode is um, Jenny has really brought a a simple measuring stick to to pay attention to ourselves as energy, and our energy is going to tell us, give us early warning symptoms of, of what our mind might not be able to recognize otherwise, to be able to hone our choices, our thoughts. Um, as we go through life and and self-correct as we go. I really like her book, book and I encourage you to engage it if, if it resonates, resonates. If resonate, resonates with you. <laughs> I want to thank you, the listener. Um, always a pleasure for me. You can check out newhumanliving.com. It's a vehicle for the transformation of yourself. How to how to embody your soul. How to become compatible with your soul. Again, thanks for showing up for yourself. Until next time, I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.